0: Glad to have you with us this morning, joining us from wherever you are, and super grateful for everyone in the worship center here who's uh, making this happen. Uh, We are practicing social distancing, and we've got masks on if we're not up front. uh, Just wanted you to know that and be aware of that. Before we dig into our text this morning, for those graduates of 2020, congratulations to you. I know it may not be exactly what you were hoping for or thinking about, but we salute you, we celebrate with you, and we are grateful for your phenomenal accomplishments. Also wanted to let you know that on Thursday, uh, 80 bags of food were distributed here to Placentia Presbyterian Church. Three churches got together and 80 food bags came here in about an hour. And then on Friday, uh, 80 bags were distributed in about an hour also. So thank you so much to everyone who participated in that. Your generosity, your love, your compassion, your mercy, and grace is the heartbeat of this church. Loving people to life, relational, relevant, and bold. Thank you so much. Well, we still are in Eastertide, and we're better together. We're stronger together with Christ at the center. Last week, we looked at the first five of ten great delights that God delights in in our lives, especially through times of Significant disruption, crisis, life events, transformation, and yes, change. This week we're going to look at the second half of Psalm 23 and the sixth through the tenth of God's ten great delights. Let's listen to the word of God. The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. That's our header. God makes us lie down in green pastures. God leads us beside quiet waters. God refreshes our soul. God guides us along the right paths for God's namesake. And even though we walk through the darkest valley, we, my friends, will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, your strength, They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup, it overflows. Surely your goodness and your love will follow us all the days of our life, and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The reading of God's Word thanks be to God in times of crisis and life change or even life events this is a great text a great psalm familiar to us it's a great psalm for us to lean into Walter Brueggemann someone that I resonate with especially regarding the first testament and you've heard me say this before in a different context But this psalm, he specifically refers to in three great moves. There's orientation, life is great. There's disorientation, the darkest valley. And there's new orientation. Orientation, disorientation, new orientation. The way it was, normal. The way it's not that, but not yet what it is. And the new normal. Those are some words we've talked and heard quite a bit about in recent days. It's a text for liminal days. Liminality is not what it was, not yet what it's going to be. It's this moment. It's this season in life. It's this time when it's not what it was, not yet what it is going to be. It's a great psalm to lean into slant, telling the truth but telling it slant, Emily Dickinson. Because truth flies into our midst in an angular way and catches us off guard by a God whose middle name is surprise. We certainly live in a liminal time. And you may say, that's a really big word. How do I get my mind around liminality? Think of when you were a teenager, or you've had a teenager, or you've observed a teenager. Teenagers are in a time of liminality. They're no longer a child. They're not yet an adult. They're in this wonderful, wonderful phase called adolescence. Tongue in cheek. Bite my lip. That's liminality. That's transition. And that's what we're living in. Liminal days. A time that Walter Brueggemann calls disorientation. And yet in the midst of liminal time, we're given these ten great delights by God. Samuel Wells calls them ten joys. I've tweaked it a little bit and rewritten the last five. These are the ten great delights of God in times of disruption, in times of liminality, in times that we're living right now. Because God is a good shepherd. An oh so good shepherd. And does not want anyone to lack anything. So these final five delights are an encouraging word to all of us. Delight number six, picking up from last week. If you were here last week with us, we ended with this notion that even though I walk through the dark valley, God, you are, key word now, with us. God is always with us. God creates to be with us. God sets apart Israel to be with us. God gives us the prophets and the writings to be with us. God sends God's self in Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, to be God with us. God sends the Holy Spirit to be with us all the days of our life. And in our sixth delight, God says... Your rod and your staff, keyword, they comfort me. They comfort us. Last week we finished with God's first instinct, which was to be with us. This week we pick up with God's second great instinct to comfort us in times of liminality, times of crisis, life change, disorientation. Comforting us to make uh, things better, to soothe, to calm, to de-escalate, to reduce and relax the anxiety. <sighs> Take a deep breath. God's got this, my friends, because God is a good, oh, oh so good shepherd. Shepherd few months ago, my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter fell. She went down. She went down pretty hard. Cora went down pretty hard. It wasn't one of those fake cry moments where you just tell her to get up, she's okay. She went down pretty hard, but she was in this moment of confusion. Do I cry? Do I pull myself back up? And she looked at me, and her lips began to quiver. She wasn't sure what she was feeling. She didn't know what to do. I'm sure you've had this experience before and seen it happen. I said, Cora, it's, it's okay. You can cry. Boom, like turning on a light switch. She cried. And then I said, But it's okay. I got you. And I reached down and I picked her up, and about as soon as I picked her up and she rested her head on my shoulders. She stopped crying. Boom, the light switch went back off. This sixth delight that God offers all of us in this time is it's okay to cry, but I'm here to comfort you. It's okay to be anxious, but I'm here to comfort you. My strength, my rod, and my staff is what that means. I got you. And God picks us up literally and hugs us in that moment of disorientation my granddaughter needed a safe place and that's what God's rod and staff mean to a shepherd provides a safe place of security to go through moments when we got nothing else no matter how tough no matter how alone and isolated and anxious and liminal and painful or embarrassing God's rod and staff I got you I will comfort you. The words of the prophet. God will comfort. Oh, God will comfort God's people. And it's a powerful gospel juxtaposition from the way in which the world works, doesn't it? The world doesn't say, I got you. The world doesn't say, I'll comfort you. When the embarrassing and shameful and the guilt hit, The world tends to run or throw stones or judge or toss vitriol and certainly blame, but not so with God. God says, I will comfort you with my strength, this rod and this staff, and provide a safe place. And you know what? God delights in that. It's the delight of God. Like a grandfather picking up his granddaughter. Why? God is a good, oh, oh, so good shepherd. Delight number seven. Fascinating part of the psalm. The poet says, God, you prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies. Here's the delight of God bouncing back big time. It's a truth bomb. Are you ready for it? It's a truth bomb. God does not have any enemies. Notice the text. Not Judas, not Pontius Pilate, not even Caiaphas. We're the ones that have enemies. God prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemies. And this is the profound laughter and humor of God. God sets right next to us at this banquet, feast, and table our biggest and greatest foes. Why? To reconcile, to bring together. To restore. To go from this moment of disorientation to a healed and new way forward. It's, it's God's divine comedy here. God actually sets our enemies next to us for a meal. Now I know what you're saying. You're saying, I, I, come on, man. I don't have any enemies. Really? You at least have somebody that you don't jive with. There's at least somebody in your life where you just can't quite get on the same page. We've all got those kind of folks. I mean, you probably have folks in your life that just don't like the way you look. But God prepares a table for all of us to sit down and talk it out. And God delights in this. God finds great joy in this moment of reconciliation. And don't forget, this table is significantly reminding us of the Lord's table. Where Jesus is the food on the table. The body of Christ is the bread that is given to us to reconcile all people to God. I think this text makes God laugh, and it should make us laugh too. Because reconciliation is the great delight of God. Why? A good, oh, so good shepherd. Delights in reparation, reconciliation, healing, and a new orientation. Right in the middle of the liminality of extreme disorientation. Okay, we got to keep moving. Delight number eight of ten great delights. God anoints our head with oil and our cup overflows. Anointing our head with oil and our cup overflows. We tend not to anoint our head with oil anymore. I think of the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with oil and the profound humility that is found in that. She wet Jesus' feet with oil and she dried Jesus' feet with her hair. The profound humility. That act of humility triggered Judas to betray Jesus. And yet, I think she knew, this humble woman, that it was the great delight of God to be a part of anointing our head with oil. God delights in this and adores us through and through. It's almost like It's almost like getting a scalp massage from God. It soothes, it restores. God relaxes and heals the disorientation as we look forward to a new normal you anoint our head with oil and our cup the text says overflows does that cup remind us of the lord's table the cup of forgiveness this cup reminds us of the miracle at the first wedding in cana of galilee all of this is an, and more is what we need it's deep soul work it's restoration for the body anointing our head with oil and a cup that overflows. The cup of profound forgiveness making all things new. I'm sure we've all been betrayed by someone before. We may even have betrayed someone else. Maybe the church has betrayed someone. The psalmist says, lean into me in your disorientation. I will provide healing and forgiveness and a new way forward. It may take time, but reparation and reconciliation is what I delight in. It's like getting our soul cleansed and everything comes back to life because that's the good. That's the good shepherd, the oh, so good shepherd, delighting in God's great work. Delight number nine of ten. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our life. We all know what it's like to hunt for something. You ever hunted for something this week? A child hunts for an Easter egg. A child hunts for a plastic golf ball under the couch. We hunt for our keys. We hunt for our invoice. We hunt for that favorite shirt. We hunt for that foul ball lost in the woods. I spend a lot of time hunting for a golf ball lost in the woods. Let's not get into it. That's for another day. But we're all used to hunting, pursuing, seeking hard something. And that's the way God is. God delights in this hunt, this chase, this pursue, this search, tracking, finding us, not just for one day, but every single day of our life. Every single day of our life. Goodness and mercy pursue us every single day. Why? You can say it with me because you should know it by now. God is a good, oh so good shepherd who delights in pursuing us. And perhaps my personal favorite of all ten, the tenth great delight, we will dwell in the house of God forever. Dwell in the house of God forever. Sounds wonderful. I know that this is a metaphor, the house of God. It's always been somewhat difficult for me. There's the metaphor of house of God, a... A mansion with many rooms. But then there's this literalness of it. And I'm like, how do I get my mind around this mansion that can hold all these people for all eternity? You know what I'm saying? I mean, I get the metaphor, but the literalness kind of trips me up on occasion. Then I was introduced to C.S. Lewis many, many years ago. And his famous children's books. You may have read them if you haven't. Put it on your read list for a time like this. The Chronicles of Narnia. In the very last book of that whole series of books, written primarily for children, but there's a lot in there for adults to chew on, we're introduced to a concept called further up and further in. I want you to listen to the final book as I read an excerpt where Lucy and Peter and Edmonds enter into Aslan's country. Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia is the Christ figure. Think of it as the way we enter into dwelling in the house of God forever, further up, further in. Here's what happens in the book as a description of what that possible life in that place and dwelling in the house of God forever could or might perhaps potentially look like. About a half an hour later, or it might have been half a hundred years later, for time there is not like time here, Lucy stood with her dear friend, her oldest Narnian friend, the Fawn Tumnus, looking down over the wall of that garden and seeing all of Narnia spread out below. But when you looked down, you found that this hill was much, much higher than you thought it was. It was much taller than you thought it was at first. It sank down with shining cliffs, thousands of feet below them, and trees in that lower world looked no bigger than grains of green salt. Then Lucy turned inward again and stood back with her back to the wall and looked at the garden. I see, she said. I see now at last, thoughtfully. I get it now. I see it now. The garden is like the stable. It's far bigger inside of Narnia than it is when you look at it from the outside. Of course, daughter of Eve, said the fawn, the further up and further in you go, the bigger the bigger everything gets. The inside is much larger than it looks from the outside. Isn't that a wonderful tale? It's this notion that from the outside it doesn't look that big, but as soon as we take our first step up the front porch and crack the door of this mansion with many rooms... It's as if the inside just continues to get bigger and bigger and bigger and larger and larger and larger. Because the infinity of God is bigger than any human being can conceive. Almost too great for us to understand and recognize upon our first glance. The further up, the further in. The further inside we go, the bigger everything gets. And that's the way God is living life inside of God, living life inside of these ten great delights is much bigger than it looks from the disorientation of the outside. And yet God's painting for us a new orientation with the landscapes bigger within the comforting presence of the God who delights in being with each and every single one of us all the days of our life. Why? Because this is a good, oh, so good shepherd. My friends, may you continue. To be driven to your knees as we enter the front porch of the greatness of God to go further up and further in. May you delight that being within God is far bigger than any small thing that we think we see or hear or perceive on the outside. The further up, the further in, the bigger God gets. That's the new orientation. That's the new normal that we are being driven to as human beings in the moment of our struggle. Grace, mercy, and peace to each and every one of you. Amen. Let's pray. What a great text to lean into. To hear it again for the first time. To see it again perhaps for the first time. To end in a way we've never heard before. The more we are drawn to you and become at one with you, God, the smaller the cares of life become and the greater your sovereignty and your comfort and your with us and your chase and your hunt and your pursue and your oil and your cup and your table. Be calm. may it be so for all of us here in your name we pray amen